Good morning, friends. Welcome to Live with Doug. My name is Doug, and we are here live on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And we are digging into the Word of God, thinking through it. Glad to have you with us. Good morning, HD, and Patty, and John, and Alan, and Clinks888. That's interesting. Paul, James, welcome, everybody. Uh, good to have you with us. John says, I missed the live show yesterday, uh, but I, the discussion, I'm assuming. Well, I'm not sure what you meant by that. Uh, what a sweet declarative uh, promise. We are dead to sin and alive in Christ. Yep, we're going to get more of that today as we continue our look at uh, the realms of the flesh and the spirit in Romans 7 and James. Uh, James. Ha! Just looked at James Ansel there. Uh, and uh, Galatians 5. So anyway, all fluster this morning. Good morning, Keith. Glad you're with us. Uh, love. Yep, very good. All right, uh, so one one more reminder here for you. You can still sign up for our Acts and First and Second Corinthians course. It starts Monday, 5.30 p.m. Mountain Time. Uh, go to newcovenantschooloftheology.org, click on Apply, fill out that application form, and we'll get that and get back to you. It's uh, We're getting some good numbers. I think this is a, there's a, a lot of stuff in Acts and First and Second Corinthians that people want to dive into, so we'd love to have you. All right, so let's uh, let's go ahead and get back into our study of Romans six here, uh, heading toward Romans seven. Uh, I'm going slow. I know it's repetitive. Uh, Paul is repetitive in this section because he really wants to get a point across, and I'm going slow because I want us to get it, but especially. As we head into Romans 7, which is a highly controversial and d debated section, you've got to understand Romans 6, and as you'll see, even further back in Romans. Paul does not give us theological chunks in Romans. Uh, if you read commentaries, certain commentaries, listen to certain pastors, uh, see outlines, so often Romans is outlined something like, you know, chapters 1 through 5 are justification the doctrine of justification. Chapters 6 through 8 are the doctrine of sanctification, uh, something like that. 9 through 11, get a little bit about Israel, and then get practical stuff. That's, that, that's just not how Romans is presented. It is not a theology book. Now, from one perspective, it's all about theology, right? Because it's a study of God and God's plan and God's purposes and all that. But the point is, Paul's writing this letter and he says things and then develops them later on. Uh, as we see as we go through this. So uh, stick with me. I appreciate your patience. It'll be worth it to really understand what's going on here. And let me say one more time, uh, to really get it, you need to dig in. And I would encourage you to get a New American Standard. You can find it online for free and use that as your study for Romans because they keep those words, the conjoining words uh, that are so important for the flow of the argument. All right, so we're gonna go back and uh, recap some of what we looked at yesterday and then move forward. So Paul began chapter six with this rhetorical question, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? And he responded with a strong, may it never be. And then, surprisingly, he says, we cannot continue in sin so the grace may increase. And here's why we can't. We are dead to sin. Now, yesterday, we looked at why that is an unexpected response. We expect him to say something like, that would be presumptuous. It would be wrong to continue in sin so the grace may abound. But that's not what he says. His reason that we can't is, we are dead to sin. Now, 
I think I emphasized this some yesterday, but it is worth reiterating. He's not simply saying you can't sin anymore. Now, that's an implication, uh, or we shouldn't sin anymore. That's an implication. But what he's saying is we are dead to this realm, this kingdom that we used to live in. You need to understand that difference if you're going to understand 6, 7, and 8, Romans 6, 7, and 8. Uh, this word, we de- how shall we who died to sin still live in it? This word live is not the word that he uses for conduct and behavior. That's the word walk. That's translated to walk, and we see that a little bit later here. What he's doing is he's describing two different kingdoms, two different realms. Let me show you uh, back in chapter 5. At the end of the of chapter 5, verse 21, he's setting up where he's going here. So that as sin reigned in death. Well, reigning has to do with a kingdom, right? Sin was on the throne in this kingdom of death. And this goes back to what he said in chapter 5, verse 12, when he starts setting up the the two representatives that we looked at yesterday, there's Adam and the result of Adam was that now there's this kingdom, a a realm where sin rules and reigns and that brings about death. We were all born into that kingdom. You were born to that kingdom. I was born to that kingdom. Sin was on the throne reigning and ruling and that led to death. But then Paul says there's another kingdom, this kingdom of grace, so that grace would reign through righteousness. And that leads not to death, but to life in the ages, the ages to come in that renewed earth that we talked about yesterday. That We think eternal life, but uh, and it's translated that way, but so often we think eternal life as in floating the clouds with our harps in heaven. No, it's it's life in the next age to come, the ages where we will be on this earth in the glorified bodies and so on. And grace reigns through Jesus Christ our Lord. So do you see there are two kingdoms here, two realms that Paul is setting up. It's very important to see that. We were born in Adam in this one realm, but now we're in a different one. And he says, since you have died, let me show, show you again, since you have died to sin, to this realm of sin, you can't still live in it. It's impossible. So, you know, every metaphor breaks down, but you were born in, uh, you know, pick a nation, <laughs> pick a nation you don't like. I'm not going to start naming them. You were born in this land, this kingdom, and had a ruler in this kingdom, okay? You died. So therefore, you are not in that kingdom anymore. You're, you're dead. You've been raised to an altogether different kingdom. So he doesn't say you shouldn't live in that former kingdom. He says you can't because you, you, you're dead, You're no longer a citizen of that kingdom. You've been raised over here to a different kingdom where grace reigns. Do you see that? So it's a a status at this point more so than behavior. Now, he'll get to behavior, but he wants us to see this. 
And I hope this is clear. I know I'm going slow. I'm repeating. Some of you are probably like, yeah, 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 got it. Move on, move on, move on. But if you've never pondered this before, it, it'll transform the way you see this passage. And I want you to see that's what he's getting at. And then he says, maybe you don't know this. Well, maybe you don't know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ, the Messiah, that's Jesus, you've been baptized into his death. This is how you died to the kingdom of sin is you were joined to Christ, you were baptized into Christ, and that brought about your death. That, that, that was your death. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. So there's the, the behavior. You died to master sin. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> we died to the kingdom of sin. In that kingdom, you died. You can't live there. You're in a new one. You've been raised to a new kingdom. And now you must walk as members of this new kingdom, not the old one, because you don't live there anymore. You're not citizens of that. He goes on and explains it. For if we've become united with him in the likeness of his death, which you have through being joined to him in baptism, certainly we shall also in the likeness of his resurrection. He died, you died. He rose again, you rose again. All right, so I see a couple of comments here from uh, Peter. Let me take a look at that before we go on to see if I want to address it now. Is it that we are dead to the ultimate effect consequences of sin death because of the promise of eternal life? Is it that we are dead to the ultimate effect? Well, I believe that is true. We are, uh, uh, we are dead to the ultimate effect. But I think the emphasis here is on present reality. Um, I think the next verse that I'm about to recap will will speak to that. Let me let me see if that answers your question. You have one more here. Also from yesterday, is it we experienced death because of Adam's headship or that we lost access to the tree of life, which we now have again through Jesus? Uh, I think those are basically two ways of saying the same thing. Um, in the imagery of the garden, right, they, they couldn't get the tree of life. They were kicked out and, and there was a a fiery angel there set to prevent them. Um, so we ha- didn't have access to the tree of life. I think that's all description of kind of the same thing that we, uh, we die because we're Adam's offspring, uh, which is the point that he makes in chapter five, verse 12. And that's symbolized in the fact that being cut off from the tree of life. So I think it's basically two ways of getting at the same thing. All right. So we've died to this realm and we are in a, in a different realm. Uh, Hugo has a question. How about since we are no longer under law? Yeah, we're going to get there. (laughs) You guys are good students. You know where this is going. But for those who haven't, who aren't familiar with this, I want you to see this. So we died to the old realm of sin and we uh, have raised with Jesus in his resurrection, knowing this, verse six, that our old man, the old man was crucified with Jesus. Now, some of you have been taught that old man is that old sinful nature. No, that's not what he's saying. The old man, that whole, that person that you were, that Adamic person that was in the realm of sin, this is, a, again, a status idea that you were born in the, the, the realm of sin leading to death. That man died. 
that old man that, that you were, that man died, okay? He was crucified. That man, that, the, the, the realm that you were born in, I mean, the person that you were born in that realm died because you were joined to Christ and he was put on the cross, you were put on the cross. For what purpose? In order that our body of sin, that's going to be important as we go through rest of six and into seven and into chapter eight, our body of sin might be done away. Uh, sometimes it's translated, uh, null, rendered null and void. Sometimes it uh, loses its power. But this body of sin, something happened to the body of sin when you were crucified with Christ and that old man who is in, in the reign of sin has been done away with. And here's where we left off yesterday so that here's the purpose of that rendering the body of sin uh, null and void or powerless or abolished so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Now he's going to amplify and explain this further in this passage. Verse seven, he says, for explaining what he means that we would no longer be slaves to sin for he who has died is freed from sin. Now that is simple enough in it, in its uh, meaning, right? If you're dead, then you're freed from the realm of sin, from slavery to sin. Uh, we don't go to the cemeteries and look around at the 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 people in the ground or think you know the gravestones and re- remembering the people in the ground and think oh I bet those people are really battling sin no uh, their their fight against sin is done right their their enslavement to sin is done they're they're dead so the one who's died is freed from sin freed from the realm of sin freed from the slavery to sin but what's fascinating here is if you see in the New American Standard you see this uh, this index this number one here um, that indicates that th- there's another possible meaning here. This word freed is actually the word justified. Same word that Paul uses over and over and over again for a courtroom legal standing where the judge declares you righteous. That's very interesting. I'm not entirely sure what he's getting at here. The one who has died, right? If you're dead, you've been declared righteous from sin. And, and some would say, well, we've died in Christ and therefore we're declared righteous in sin. Uh, but I, I don't know, maybe. Um, it, does it mean that when you die, uh, death no longer has a claim on you in that sense you've been declared? Uh, it's very interesting. I think the sense is pretty obvious that he's talking about you're released from from sin. That's the point he's been making, but it is interesting that he grabs the word or uses the word justified there. So we're going to move on. Now, if we have died with Christ, as he's been saying we have, we believe we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Right? He died. No more death. He was born into the realm of sin and death. Now, he himself did not sin, but he took on human flesh and he lived in that arena. He died in that realm and now he's not going to die anymore. He was raised. He's never going to die anymore. And notice this, death no longer is master over him. This realm, as sin reigned in death... Right? This realm of sin reigning, leading to death. 
Jesus lived in that realm, and now death no longer is master over him. He's no longer in that realm either. And because he's not in that realm, because he's not under the reign of sin and death, neither are those who are joined to him in baptism. No longer is death our master. He explains that further. For the death that he died, he died to, to sin. He died to that realm of sin. Not that he himself was a sinner, but he was in that kingdom. He died to that kingdom once for all. He's done. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So we go back to our uh, 521. This other realm includes grace. It includes righteousness. It leads to eternal life. And now we add to it includes God. He's now alive in this new kingdom of grace and righteousness and God. What's the net effect of this for you and me? Even so, Paul says, consider yourselves dead to this realm, this kingdom of sin. That's not your realm anymore. That's not your kingdom. But consider yourselves alive to God. How do you get there? In Messiah, Jesus. Do you see that? You died to the kingdom of sin and death. You are alive to God and grace and righteousness because you are in Messiah, Jesus. Are you tracking with me? (laughs) I hope you are. Peter has a follow-up here. Let me take a look and see. He says, could it be that being dead to sin means the shadow of death that hung over you has gone. Uh, Assume you're referring back to the uh, being justified from sin by, uh, by dying. Could it be that being dead to sin, maybe you're not addressing that, um, means that the shadow of death that hung over you has gone. Well, you're still going to die, right? Um, so the, uh, you're still going to die. None of us love death. Death is still called an enemy. It's the last enemy, but it's an enemy. Um, so maybe, I don't know, good thought. Paul says, so this passage is addressing two groups of people, those that are children of God or children of Satan. Uh, well, he's not mentioned Satan yet, so I don't know if I want to go that far. In fact, he doesn't mention Satan through this. Uh, he's addressing two kingdoms, two realms, and those who live in those two realms. Uh, And children of God is reading uh, some other truths and other passages into it. Let's let's for now stick to what has been uh, said. Yeah, you you followed up, said you're using 1 John language. Let's keep Paul and Paul for now. Uh, There's two realms. There are those who are in Adam. They live in the kingdom of sin and death and slavery to sin. If you have been joined to Christ, then you died to that realm. So you were born, everyone was born in that realm. You've died to that realm, that kingdom. You've been resurrected to the kingdom of grace, 
righteousness, God reigning uh, over you and that kind of thing. So let's keep it to this language. So two realms. Don't think of two families here. Think of two realms, two kingdoms. I hope that hope that's clear. Uh, Peter's got a follow-up. Uh, yes, you're going to die, but you are to live as though it has no effect as we have eternal life. Yeah, again, maybe. And I don't want to uh, live as though sin has... Ha, live as though sin has no effect here. Um, does death have no effect? Again, you're still going to die. So I don't know if that's the the point. The the stress is, um, I see what you're saying. Uh, eternal life is where this all ends up for us. So we're not afraid of death anymore. If that's what you're saying, then then yes, I would agree. Uh, Lon says, is Galatians five twenty one of assistance here? Let me pull up Galatians five twenty one. Oops, I can't type. Yeah, apparently, Galatians 5.21, uh, the deeds of the flesh and so on. All right, so we will get to Galatians 5. If you understand Paul's teaching here on uh, Romans 6, 7, and 8, it may change your perspective of Galatians 5. So I'm not going to go there because I don't want your view that I may disagree with or at least to nuance differently. I don't want to... Uh, uh, so let's let's stay in Romans for now, okay? John says, how does the already not yet dynamic factor in? This seems consistent with Paul's other exhortations, put off, put on, old man, new man, having been leavened, now leaven. Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> I know this is just how we're programmed. Um, uh, yeah, so there is an already not yet dynamic, but let's just stick stick with stick with the text here. Hang on, hang on. <laughs> I love it. You guys are good students. Um, but again, we, we so often bring everything else we know and conclusions we've drawn to these texts. And the danger there is it a lot, it causes us to not stick to this text. Does that make sense? So, yep. Hang on. Good thinking, though. Uh, Lon says, sorry, I meant Galatians 2.20. Uh, yeah, Galatians 2.20 is a little closer to what he's getting at here. Uh, all right. Let me Let me get back to the text. So the, the uh, statement is, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, dead to that realm, not in that kingdom. You're alive to the new, king, new kingdom, to God in Christ Jesus. Now he gives the, uh, the sort of moral implication of that. Therefore, since that's true, since you no longer live in that kingdom of sin, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. So he said earlier that the the purpose, let me go back and show you, the purpose of that old man dying to that old kingdom by being crucified with Jesus is that your body of sin might be done away with, nullified, whichever translation you want here. Something about your body of sin is going to be destroyed so you would no longer be a slave to sin now he gives the command, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Since you're not under the kingdom of master sin. Sin ruled and reigned in that kingdom. Sin was your master, right? 
Do not let sin reign. Do not let sin be your master. Don't let master sin rule over your body. Now, it's a mortal body. Your body's going to die. And it has desires. That's what the word lust here, that, uh, the Greek word epithemia is very strong desires. Your body has strong desires. Do not obey those strong desires. Do not obey master sin because you don't live under his jurisdiction anymore. He is not your master. He's not your Lord. He's not your king. Do you see where he's going here? How can we overcome sin? By realizing he's not my master. Before I became a Christian, before I was joined to Christ, I had to serve master sin. He was my king. I I was enslaved to him. But I died to his rule. Now I'm alive to Christ. I'm alive to God. I'm alive to to master righteousness and, and grace, all this over here. Therefore, I can say to master sin, nope, I'm not gonna listen to you. My body has desires, yep. Well, we're not subject. My body's desires are not subject to your lordship anymore, master sin. I belong to Jesus. I belong to grace. I belong to righteousness. Do you see that? This is freedom for us. Freedom from slavery to sin. Think about the the impact of this for addictions. We've been told, we've been told by our society that we become addicts. It becomes an identifier for people. You're an addict. It's a medical condition. You're an addict. Now, I don't want to debate this with you, certainly not today because we're running out of time, but at least give me a hearing here, will you? What we call alcoholism, by putting that word ism on it, right? we make a, a principle out of it. We make a worldview out of it. We make a whole system out of it. That's what the word ism does to something. Being pragmatic is good. That means making pragmatic, good, wise, practical decisions. But when you put pragmatism on it, it becomes a worldview. Being feminine for you women is a good thing. Feminism is an awful thing. It it, it becomes this worldview. Same thing with something like alcoholism. The Bible doesn't use the term alcoholism. It says drunkard. If you drink over and over and over and over and over again, and you get to so that you can't stop drinking, the Bible would call that a enslavement to sin. If you're enslaved to sin, you're living under master sin's reign and rule. In Christ, we've died to his rule. We are raised to newness of life. We don't have to obey master sin anymore. That's good news. That is really good news. We've been freed from his rule and reign, and now we are enslaved to righteousness, to obedience, to to the king, to to the high king. And that's why he says, do not let sin reign. Don't do it. He's not your master. Don't obey the the desires of your bodies and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. 
Sin is not your master anymore. So don't go offer to master sin. Hey, here, here's my arms. Here's my legs. Here are my eyes. If I may be a little bit uh, risky here, here, here are my genitals. Right? Don't present the members of your body to master sin as though he's still your Lord. Don't do that, Paul says. You, if you do that, you're presenting them as, as weapons, as, as really the word he uses, as instruments of unrighteousness. That's not your realm anymore. Look at chapter 5. You're in this new realm, this new kingdom, grace reigning through righteousness. So don't give your body, your body parts, to master sin. Instead, he says, present your, yourselves to God. As those alive from the dead, Jesus died in this kingdom. He was raised in this other kingdom. You are raised with him. Therefore, you're alive over here to God. Present yourself to God, your whole self, and give your body parts, all of them, the same ones I listed, your arms, your legs, your eyes, your genitals, give them all to God in righteousness, uh, instruments of righteousness. Lon says something here. Verse 13 is key, presenting my eyes to pornography, for example. Exactly, exactly. Stop doing that, Paul says. You are, when you do that, you're acting like you're still enslaved to sin. Do you see? I mean, I emphasize this for so many reasons, but one of the reasons is when we're told... And I think I said this in the introduction lesson as we get into Romans 7. When we are told we're just like the Apostle Paul. Paul was a slave to sin. He said, I want to do what's right, but I can't. Wrong. That is not what Paul means. I will show you that. It's not what Paul means. It cannot be what Paul means. If you're a slave to sin, you're, if you think you are, then you're, you think you're defeated already. So why, why bother? I might as well go on and do it. No. You can stop presenting your eyes to pornography. You can do it if you are in this new realm. If you're in the kingdom of the resurrected Jesus, you can stop presenting your eyes to master sin. You can do it, he says, because you no longer live in this other realm. It's, this is so freeing for us and so wonderful for us. All right. So wrapping up today, here's what Paul says that is a shock to the system for some. He says, do not go on presenting your members to sin, but instead present yourselves to God. And then he gives this next statement for, and it's crucial to have the for here because it explains what he just said. Sin shall not be master over you. Well, that's what I've just been talking about, right? That's nothing new there. Sin's not your master. You're not in that realm anymore. You're in this other realm. But here's the second four, the second explanation that can be shocking. For you are not under law. Rather, you're under grace. This is shocking because the implication is if you are under law, sin is your master. Do you see that? If you are under 
law, if you're under the Mosaic law, if you're under the Ten Commandments as your law, if you're under the law as revealed in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, if that is what you are under, then sin is your master. To unpack what he means by that, you'll have to come back tomorrow. All right, let me see a couple other uh, comments here from John and James. John says, what about seasons of greater struggle? Yeah, well, okay. I want to I be careful here. On the one hand, uh, when, when, when we go through those seasons, uh, what I don't want us to do is use our experience as an excuse. See, I think whenever, whenever we say things like, you know, everybody goes through this and, you know, all Christians struggle and we all have those periods where we just seem like we can't defeat a certain sin or whatever. Most of the time when we think down that path, we're trying to make ourselves feel better. Other people do this too. We take great comfort in knowing that other people sin. At least I'm not the only one. Is that good? Does that help us to overcome sin? Sometimes it actually encourages us to sin more, doesn't it? Because, well, you know, this is kind of human nature. It's kind of how we are. It's kind of what we all have to deal with. And uh, so, so I want to, I want to just, say, I, I don't see the value of thinking about those things. Maybe stop looking at yourself and others who sin and look to Jesus and say, all right, regardless of what the past has been like for me or anyone else, I am no longer a slave to master sin. So I'm going to walk in newness of life today. I can't change yesterday. I can't change those seasons, but I can today I can decide I am not under the sin, uh, the, the master sin rule. I'm alive to God in Christ, and I'm going to walk in, in freedom from that sin. So I know that's maybe not the answer you wanted, but I just I don't know what good comes of pondering our own sin or the sins of others. It seems like that is what the enemy often uses to cause us to struggle more. James says, is it like if I immigrate from South Africa to America? then the South African army can't call me up for war anymore, but I'm available to the U.S. Army for battle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You've died to whatever that other kingdom was. You're in a new one, and you don't serve the leader of that nation. You serve the leader of this nation, which is grace and righteousness and God and Christ, the Messiah and Jesus. Yeah, very, very good. And so why would you give yourself to serve in the army of that other nation? You can't. It's foolish. Don't. They're not your not your leaders anymore. Yeah, very good. Dale says, when discussing these things, I often find myself saying that may be true, but it's not what God is saying in uh, this particular passage. There's a big temptation to jump around and make connections. Right. And there is a place for jumping around and making connections, but for, remember we talked about, I can't remember which, some lesson we talked about how um, interpretation is an analysis and synthesis we pull things out. That's what analysis means to loosen. We, we pull a text out and we examine it. And then we put it back into the flow of the argument. 
but we need to make sure that we understand what is actually being said here and how it fits. For in, in this case, how does this fit the whole flow of Romans before we start trying to fit it together with, with everything else? Now, you know, we can't resist that entirely. <laughs> it's just in our nature, but be very careful to stick to the text here. It's why I'm going so slow. Uh, all right, one more from John, and then we'll probably need to call it a day here. Uh, for the weak sheep, it can be a great balm of comfort for the troubled soul. I've known this personally. Um, I'm assuming you're meaning that to know that uh, that others struggle. Is, is that what you're getting at? Um, again, I want to ask the question, why does it comfort you? And, I, and, I, and I'm not, I'm genuinely asking a question just to, just to ponder for a minute. Why does it take comfort? Um, so I... I committed adultery and I take great comfort in knowing that other people committed adultery. Why? Why does that comfort me? Should it comfort me? By the way, I haven't committed adultery. I'm just using an analysis, just trying to push this through. And you don't, John, you don't have to answer if you don't want to. I just, um, I don't know if we should find comfort in that. Shouldn't we find more comfort? In, in looking to people who have not sinned, Jesus himself, Jesus resisted every temptation. Comfort means strength. Now, empathy, we often want empathy, but should we want empathy? I don't know if we should want empathy in our sin. What we should want is strength to overcome. And we looked at Jesus and he overcame every temptation. So we looked at the cross for hope and for forgiveness. Like, okay, yeah, I, I sinned. I'm thankful. I'm thankful that Jesus went to the cross to, to suffer the wrath of God on my behalf. And I, I take joy in knowing my eternal destiny is, is secured because of his work. But when it comes to my struggle to overcome sin, I also take comfort in knowing there is one who never gave in. He resisted all the way to the end. He loved us to that to the point, and he's now given me his spirit, the same spirit that enabled him to overcome. He's given me that same spirit. I'm no longer a slave to master sin by his power, by his strength, by his example. I can present my members uh, to righteousness. So I, I hear what you're saying. I just wonder if maybe sometimes we take comfort in things that are not helpful and maybe we shouldn't. All right, well, keep wrestling, keep uh, keep pondering, keep fighting sin, present your members to slaves of righteousness, and tomorrow we will see what he means by if you were under the law, you would be enslaved to sin. Have a great, blessed, righteous day, and we will see you tomorrow. God bless.